Good morning to all you guys at Axis Church. Excited to be here this morning. Let's snag this real quick. Um, I just wanted to say first off uh, how much I appreciate all you guys. Um, yesterday, uh, my family had a service celebrating my grandpa's life, um, and he passed during uh, the height of quarantine, so we weren't really able to celebrate then, and I just really appreciate all many of you guys in our community did uh, for me and praying for my family and um, just uh, sending me gifts even in quarantine and it just meant a lot and I know that even a lot of you guys have experienced that when you guys have faced different crises and and tough situations in your life and I'm so grateful that um, I get to be part of a community like that that um, yeah, we, we gather and worship God um, and sing about his love and experience that love, but I get to see that love all the time uh, through you guys, and so I really appreciate that. Um, so for those of you that don't know me, uh, I'm Andrew. I'm one of the student leaders here at Axis, and uh, I'm really excited this morning to once again be in this community and also to dig into God's written word to us. I'm really excited about that because if I was just speaking, uh, you guys wouldn't learn a lot. Maybe you hear a few funny stories that I probably thought were funnier than they are. Uh, <laughs> and you might get a little bit of, of bits of advice here and there from my limited experience. But thankfully, we have God's written word for us. So we don't need that this morning. So if you want to join me, we're going to be jumping in in Paul's letter, Paul of Tarsus, his letter to followers of the way, or Christians as we call them now, in the province of Galatia in chapter 4 and chapter 5 of that. So we got two whole chapters. So trying to get that all together, we're not going to be go through everything word for word, but just see what God is teaching us here and how that impacts our lives today. So jump in with you, if you will, in Galatians 4, verse 8, it says this. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. And going ahead to chapter 5, verse 1. But it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under of law, the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. All right, that was a lot. So if you guys want to join me in prayer, hopefully God can teach us through all that. God, I just thank you so much, Father, um, that we have you in these hard and difficult times, that we have this community in these hard and difficult times. I know for me and for many others, it's hard to process what is the correct way to think, what is the wise way to confront all these decisions we have to make and interactions with people and decisions on work and children and many other tough choices. I pray that you would give us grace and love and wisdom to teach others, show others grace when they fall short, to love others when they fall short and teach them in wisdom and how to live the right way that we would have grace given to ourselves when we fall short, when we misunderstand, and we don't always know what to say, that we would experience the love of our brothers and sisters in these times, and that we would experience the love of you. And that wisdom, love, and grace would be the virtues that motivate us and that we teach to our children and our children's children. And I pray all this the only way I can pray, and that is through your Spirit, And in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. All right, so I don't know about you guys, but who here remembers some type of system when we were little kids, like first grade, kindergarten, preschool, second grade, and it was a grading scale, but not based on your schoolwork. So it wasn't like A, B, C, Ds, Fs, but it was like a color, a tally, a stick, a clip, a card, Does anyone know what I'm talking about? All right, so for me, I grew up with the color system. So before you started getting graded on your schoolwork, you were graded on your moral behavior, on how good of a kid you were, and you were assigned a color. So for others of you guys, maybe you had a tally or like a stick you would flip or a clip. Some of y'all might be old enough, you're like, shoot, we just had a switch, you know. Teacher went out back. That was the only stick you needed, and that stick was right on the bum. But for me, I had colors. So generally, you were on green, and that meant you were a good kid. And I was a good kid, so I was always on green. And, and then if it got worse, uh, you'd flip to yellow. And yellow, there was no punishment. It was just like, hey, you messed up, and this is like a warning, okay? So don't mess up again. And then orange was like the torture punishment. You had to stand at recess behind a chain link fence and hold on to it and watch the other children play at recess. It was like the worst punishment that my teacher could conceive of. Because you weren't just like not at recess. You had to like watch the other kids play and have fun. And you're like on this fence. Like you're in prison. You're like, Jeremiah, Zach, come talk to me, please. And, uh, and then if it got worse, you got to the red card, which like if you're talking about like DEFCOM levels in the Cold War, it's like going down DEFCOM 4, like DEFCOM 2. Like it's getting bad because they would call your parents, which for some of us, like if your parent got called, 
when you got home, it was game over. And then the worst was purple card. And only the really bad kids went to purple. I never even got close. The purple card was you had to go to the principal's office. And I don't even know what my principal's name was, but I never went in her office, and I wasn't trying to. And so you had all these, these ratings and scales, and it wasn't about our schoolwork. It was about how we behaved and how good of kids we were. So for me, I was always on green. I was a very good kid, I'd like to think, but I was also very quiet, and I didn't talk very much, which some of you guys might be baffled by that. But yes, I didn't talk very much. I was very quiet. And so I had always been on green card my entire first grade until one day. Me and my friend Zach were talking. And, you know, we were talking when the teacher was talking, which you're not supposed to do. So we're talking, talking, talking. And the teacher's like, Andrew and Zach, quiet down. If I'm talking, you're not talking. We're like, okay, okay, okay. And then... Have you guys ever gotten lumped in with, like, your siblings or your friend where they actually mainly did the bad thing and you got punished with them? Well, that happened. Because Zach kept talking. I'm doing like, dude, you got to be quiet, man. You got to be quiet. And then all of a sudden, Zach and Andrew, get up here. Flip your, flip your colors. And I'm like, no, I've only ever been on green. Like, I'm a good kid. No, no, no. And I, like, walk up. And yellow didn't even do anything. But I'm like bawling my eyes out. Oh, and I'm like, and it like flips like yellow. And like, I'm a yellow kid now. And I was like, ah! I was like, I'm so sorry. Let me stay on green. Let me stay on green. And it affected me so much just flipping to yellow one time. Even though there's no punishment. Because in my little mind, I thought, oh my gosh, like, I'm a bad kid now. I'm not a good kid anymore. I flipped to yellow. And, and, and it was funny how we would talk about, like, other kids back then, you know. Like, the kids that went to red and purple, those were the bad kids, you know. Like, Jessica and, like, Tyson, you're like, they go to the red cards. Those are the bad kids. We're the good kids. And then we got older, and we started getting graded on our schoolwork. So no longer we got graded on this scale or this tally system uh, at school. But I'm convinced that as we got older, we all just made a tally system in our heads. And we, we put in the morals and the virtues that we've come up with, maybe from our families. Um, like, have you ever heard, like, oh, this is how my family was raised. We have these values. Or maybe from where you live, like Southern Hospitality, like we're from the South, we do it this way. Or maybe the religious place you went, you're like, I'm a Catholic, so this, I'm a Presbyterian, this. And so as adults, we have this like inner tally system in our heads of the morals and virtues that we have. And we grade ourselves and others based on those morals and virtues, right? We go around, we're like, oh, you see what she tweeted? Red card. Oh, she did that to my friend? She's a bad person. She's a horrible person. Purple card, right? And we become, we're very uh, subtle about it, you know, and we become much more distinguished in our morals and virtues. But I'm convinced we all have this way of thinking in our heads, and we measure ourselves up to it so that when we go against our morals and virtues, like, oh, I'm so bad, you know, I'm this, I'm that, and we're constantly measuring and grading each, each other on these scales. And it was true of the people in Galatia. And I'm going to call this way of thinking a do-good, 
get good, feel good, your good way of thinking. That if you do good things according to your inner tally system, that you get good, you feel good, and you're a good person. And if you do bad against whatever your tally system is, then you get bad, you, fe- you should feel bad, and, and you're a bad person. And I think we all have this inner system, maybe we wouldn't say it like that, and, and it comes out as a big word called moralism. But I'm going to call it a do good, get good, feel good, your good way of thinking. And it was true of the people in Galatia, except it looked a little different. And you can see that in chapter 4, verse 10. See, a lot of their inner tally system was based on observing rituals. So it said, you are observing special days and months and seasons and years. So back then, you had the Roman mythology system, primarily, and you had the Second Temple Judaism system. And so your morality, your goodness, your righteousness, if you will, was based on how often you went to temple, how many rituals you did correctly, if you did the rituals to Zeus or Venus or whoever, or you did the right, uh, the right rituals in temple. And, and your morality, your goodness, your righteousness was based on that. So their tally system, their virtue system of grading looked different than today, but they still had it inwardly. And this way of thinking, a do good, get good, feel good, your good way of thinking has been around since the beginning of time. The grading scale has just changed. The tally system has just changed. You could see it going all the way back to Mesopotamia, right? Back then they had these gods in control of of rivers and agriculture and whatever you will. And you were measured on like, okay, Tychus, how many times have you been to temple? How many times have you been to the grain festival? How many times have you done this, that, this? And your morality, your goodness, or I'm going to say your righteousness, was based on how well you followed these rules, how well you followed these rituals, how, fa- how well you followed these regulations. And then it shifted, and the Medo-Persians and the Egyptians, they came up with their own mythology and their own rituals and their own rules. And then they graded everyone on that. And you were a good person if you went to the new temples, and you followed the new rituals. And then it changed again with the ancient Romans and the ancient Greeks. It's like, how many times have you been to Aphrodite's temple? You ain't got a boyfriend? Go to Aphrodite's temple. No wonder. You're a bad person. Come on, get your stuff together. Right? How many times have you been to Zeus's temple? How many times have you offered these things? And your goodness was based on this scale. On if you did good, well, then you'd get good. Then you'd feel good. And then you're a good person. And it changed again with the ancient Norse mythology and American deism, and it's always been around. And even in modern day, you see it with Islam, Mormonism, or Jehovah's Witness, or Baha'i, or Scientology. They all have a grading scale, and your goodness, your righteousness, is based on if you do good according to their scale. And you might say, Andrew, I'm not religious. You know, I'm not about that. So I don't have a scale. I don't follow this way of thinking. But you can even see it, right, with people you might know that aren't religious. They still have an inward scale. They still think certain people are good people and certain people are bad people. And that's been around since the beginning of time. Hammurabi's code. 
and the Greek mysteries and ancient Greek and Roman mythology and Stoicism. There was a period of time where philosophers thought, well, you should just get rid of all your material goods. And that will make you a good person because physical things are bad. So your goodness is based on how many material things you have. And that wasn't even connected to religion. That was just something that people came up with, a new way of measuring. And this way of thinking was true of a lot of people in Galatia, and it's true now, and it's always been true. And it's tough. Because... If you live this way of thinking, you are always having to measure up. You are always having to perform well. Because what if you don't do all the good things? What if you skip service? What if you curse? What if you aren't aren't giving as charitably? What if you don't follow all the rules right? Are you not a good person? If you commit the worst things... And whatever your tally system is, does that make you a bad person? Are you no longer good? The problem with this way of thinking and all these systems is they're all performance-based. And they're all built on measuring up to this inward way of thinking. This do good, get good, feel good, you're good way of thinking. So what if... There was a unique way. What if there was a different way? And what's remarkable about world history is since the beginning in Mesopotamia, since people had stone tools, there was this system of belief that has lasted through it all. Even since Mesopotamia. Even when other systems were more popular, even when other systems were supported by governments, There was this one way of thinking that had lasted through all of human history, and it's completely unique. All the systems in Mesopotamia, no one follows anymore. Ancient Greece, nope. Ancient Norse, nope. They've all gone away, even though they were more popular, even though they were supported by governments. And and I think it's incredibly remarkable and unique that Judo-Christianity has outlasted them all. That even though humans began to experience different things and think differently, that Judo-Christianity still rang true. And that every popular religion we now see in the United States, whether it be Islam, Jehovah's Witness, Mormonism, Scientology, Baha'i, are all based on Christian thought, are all spin-offs, if you will, of the original that has lasted since the beginning of civilization. And I think Christianity is not just unique because it's lasted so long and had such an impact, but I also think it's unique in its measuring scale, in its grading scale of righteousness. Because in Christianity, instead of a do good, get good, feel good, your good way of thinking, it is a God's good, your good way of thinking. God's good, you're good. Well, what if I, God's good, you're good. But what if I, God's good, you're good. What if I don't go to service and God's good, you're good. What if I don't read my Bible and God's good, you're good. What if I said this, God's good, you're good. What if I did this to this person, God's good, you're good. And that is true freedom. In Galatians, we're talking about living free. That is the freedom 
that Paul is talking about in this letter, in this chapter. Not necessarily freedom from sin, which we often talk about in church, but freedom from this yoke of slavery of thinking I have to do good, to be good, to get good, to be a good person. And he's saying, let's get rid of that yoke. Let's get rid of that heavy burden. Let's get rid of that measuring up, that performance-based way of thinking. And let's experience true freedom. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. How is this freedom possible? Because in Christ Jesus it's possible. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. You see, what's unique about Christianity is your righteousness is not based on your rule following. It's based on your relationship status. Righteousness is not based on rule following but relationship status. So that no matter what you do, God's good, you're good. No matter what you say, God's good, you're good. Because it's all based on your relationship status. It's not based on your goodness. It's based on God's goodness. That God, when he so loved the world that he gave himself in the form of his son, in the form of man, and died for us on the cross, taking our punishment, he gave us, when he rose again, his goodness. And when we solidify that in a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible calls it we are married to him, we are united to him. So that no matter what we do, our relationship status solidifies our righteousness. That it's not about how well you do, but are you married or not? If you're married to Christ, you're good. But what if if you're married to Christ, you're good? If that box is checked, that relationship status box is checked, you're good. Well, then you could say, well, Andrew, that's true if all that matters is your relationship status, that you're married to Christ, that you're united to Christ. If that's all that matters is that you make that commitment, and then then, then, then couldn't Christians just go do whatever they want? And man, Christians, they're hypocrites. They've wronged me in the past. They're not good people all the time. And I would say, yes, you are going to run into that. Because Christianity isn't based on your rule following. It's based on your relationship status. So you're going to run into Christians that might not necessarily act like they're married. But the only thing that matters is if they're married. But just because you're married doesn't always mean that you act like you're married. Or you might say, Andrew, if, if all it is is checking this box, if, if my righteousness is just based on relationship status, then couldn't I just do whatever I wanted? Couldn't I just go sin all I want, do everything against God? If I check that box, I'm good then, right? That's how it works. Well, I don't think it's a coincidence that the Bible talks about a relationship with Christ as a marriage. Because has anyone ever known anyone where they have been changed by a marriage or a relationship. Has anyone ever seen that? Where a person is changed because of a relationship or a marriage. I'll say it like this. Uh, I have a lot of friends, guys in their early 20s. 
And guys in their early 20s, we like to bro out, you know? And we have, like, this way of talking. We're like, oh, yeah, you see the game? What up, bro? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, ooh. And it's like its own little language. Like, oh, yeah, man, oh, what's up? And, like, younger guys have an even different language. Like, my little brother, I don't even know what he's saying half the time, but he's growing out. Right? But as soon as a guy starts dating someone, something changes. He'll be like broing out, like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And he's just like, oh, yeah, oh, oh, hey, babe. How are you doing? Oh, my gosh. How was your day? Oh, how was pottery? Jessica is the worst, isn't she? Oh, I'm excited for The Bachelor Monday night and then Vampire Diaries. Okay, we'll go shopping. And you're like, what? Mike? What happened to you? You never ask me how my day is. Mike, when the heck did you care about pottery? Mike, why are you watching The Bachelor? You're a dude. Mike, why are you watching The Vampire Diaries? Why? Because that relationship changed him. And suddenly, his priorities changed. His interests changed. Has anyone ever heard anyone that's fallen in love or has been married, and they say this person, whether it be a spouse or, or maybe a kid even, they make me want to be a better person. Who's here ever heard someone say that? Or they make me a better person. Because marriage, falling in love, and relationships built on trust and built on love tend to change people. They tend to change their motivations and their actions and their priorities. And we see it jokingly with Vampire Diaries and watching The Bachelor and this stuff. But my question is this. If we are so changed and our priorities changed, when we fall in love and have a relationship built on love with a spouse, and if we're so changed when we have a relationship with a child, which I can't even comprehend what those relationships do, I've never experienced them. But I've, I've heard how incredible the love that is experienced and the change that happens. And it's the same way with God. It's not a coincidence that he calls the church the bride of Christ. And he says we are united and married to Christ. Our marriage, our relationship with God should change us. Not that we have to change ourselves to get to a relationship with God. Or not that we have to change ourselves after we have a relationship with God, but that our relationship with God transforms us and changes us. That we love God and have a relationship with him, and that that would change our priorities and our motivations. Not that we have to follow enough rules and regulations to get to God, but that our relationship with God would change who we are. And we see this. In chapter 5, verse 13, it says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. They have this relationship with Jesus. But it was not to indulge the flesh, but it was to serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And he begins to describe what happens as you get into a relationship with God. That God's spirit is actually within it and actually changes us. So if we walk by the spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And the acts of the flesh are obvious, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if we live by the spirit, we'll keep in step with the spirit. So that this relationship with God in us is not a result of us having joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. But that all of those things result from our relationship. That they aren't the reason we have a relationship. They aren't the reason that God loves us. But that because God loves us and because we have a relationship, it results in those things. It says that if you are with the Spirit, you are not going to be as desired or as drawn to the things of the flesh. Your motivations are going to change. Your priorities are going to change. Your intentions are going to change because of your relationship. And this freedom is that we would be able to go out and live life. And that no matter what we do and what we say, we know that our righteousness is founded in a relationship with Christ. That we don't have to worry about measuring up and grading ourselves. But that there would be results to that relationship. And that things would come out of that and that we would be changed because of that relationship. And we would look different. Not in order to get God's love and relationship, but because of it. And one of my greatest fears for the American church is that we would have a do good, be good, get good, your good way of thinking. And we would teach that, and we would slap a Christian sticker on it. That we would teach moralism, just like everyone else, and we put a Christian sticker on it. And it is one of my greatest fears, and I think we naturally fall back into it. That even those of us that have a relationship with Christ, once we have it, a lot of times we fall back into, well, I need to measure up for God. I need to do enough good things because I'm a Christian. And we slip back into a do good, get good, feel good, your good way of thinking. First Peter says, I'm going to pull it up. Don't lazily slip back into these old grooves of just doing what you feel like doing. That first Peter teaches us that naturally, even once we are a Christian, we're going to kind of slip back into our old way of thinking. That even though our relationship within is Christ, we might slip back into thinking, I need to be good enough for Christ. I need to do enough good things because I'm a Christian. And my greatest fear is that we would not fall back into that. That we would not fall back into moralism with a Christian sticker on it. Because here's the truth. You can find morals outside of God. You can find stories outside of God. You can find advice outside of God. But you can't find God outside of God. You can't find a relationship with God outside of God. And if all we do is teach morals and teach stories and give advice, and all we do is learn stories and learn morals, but not the relationship and the God and the us behind those stories and behind those morals, that we would miss out on the relationship with God behind it and just be doing what everyone else is doing, moralism and put a Christian sticker on it. And to explain all of that, I thought I'd tell you guys about two friends of mine that got married. 
So my two friends, they both found these beautiful girls, and they were fun, and they loved being around them, and they enjoyed being around them. And they were completely infatuated with these girls. They thought they were incredible. And so they both decided to marry them. And their, their first month or so of marriage, when I knew them, they were, they were emotional. They were on fire. They are like, oh, man, I love this girl, man. Oh, marriage, awesome. I'm about it. Glad I made that commitment. And then two years later, I caught back up with them. And they were talking to me and my coworkers about marriage. And the first one says, guys, marriage, uh, there's just, and then kids, I, I don't even, can't even start on kids. There's all these things I have to do now. I got to text my wife. I got to update her. I got to drive my kids to soccer practice. I, gotta, I have to do all these things now because I'm married. I really don't want to do them. And then there's all these things I can't do. Can't go out with the boys. Not as much, at least. I can't stay out late. My Xbox time, it's way down because I got these things called kids, and you got to take them to soccer practice. And marriage, there's all these things I can't do and all these things I have to do. But you know what? And me and my friends are starting to think, man, marriage sounds horrible. I'm never getting married. Why would I ever make that commitment? Sounds miserable. And, and he says, but guys, you should get married, though. We're like, what? And he's like, you should get married because it is the right and proper thing to do. Dude, marriage sounds like the worst. And he's like, guys, and all this single guy stuff you've been doing, running around, going out too late, all the girls, it needs to stop. You need to act like you're married. Why would, why would we act like we're married if we're single? We're like, what? Marriage sounds like the worst, and now you're judging us for being single? We're not married, FYI. And then my other friend, he begins to talk about his marriage. And it's a completely different story. And suddenly, I was a lot more drawn to the idea of marriage, and he begins to talk about it. And he says, man, my wife loves me completely. She cares about me, and she loves every single part of me, even the weird parts and, and, and even the times I slip up. And, and I can't even tell you how awesome that is to have a relationship like that. And yeah, it's tough. And yeah, it's hard. But I know anytime I run into something difficult, anytime I have a hard circumstance, she's there for me. And she loves me and cares for me. And dude, these things called kids, you don't even know the purpose. You don't even know the power of having kids. My life is so filled with purpose. And yeah, my kids are tough. Yeah, they're hard. But they give me so much joy and they love me. And these relationships, they make me want to be a better man. They make me want to go to work every day and work hard and be a good man because of my relationship and my love for my wife and these kids. And I know you guys are single, but I'm telling you, you got to get married. It's incredible, man. It's tough and it's hard, but it'll change your life. And this relationship, this love, is crazy, man. And all of a sudden, me and my friends thought, hey, being married doesn't sound so bad. Now, those friends are not real people, but they are, because they are all of us, and they were the believers in Galatia. Because the believers in Galatia were like that first guy they fell back into, ah, 
man, this fallen Jesus thing, it's all about what I can't do and all I have to do. And I'm going to go around and judge everyone that's not a Christian and isn't doing Christian things. And I'm just going to say, you should, you should, but you should still be a Christian, even though I'm making it sound miserable. But the second marriage, that's the kind of marriage that I want to have to Christ. One that is based on my relationship and my love with him. Where I am motivated every day to love others well and to be a better man because of my love and relationship with God. And so we're going to have some time of reflection. I want all of us to just think about that. What's my marriage with Christ like, if you want to frame it like that? And how can I go out better today and be motivated by that real love and relationship instead of rule following? And not find my righteousness in how many rules I follow, how many services I go to, how many good things I say, but solely in my relationship with Jesus Christ. And that we wouldn't gather because we're guilt-tripped, but because we need grace and because we need love. That we wouldn't just do communion, but we would do communion because we want to commune with God. And we want community with others. And that's the kind of faith that I want to live, and that's the kind of marriage with Christ I want to have. And so if you join me with in prayer and spend some time reflecting... I just think about where am I getting my righteousness and how's my relationship with God. God, I just thank you so much for who you are. Father, thank you that you decided you would want a relationship with us. And help us as we go out into the world that we wouldn't slip back into the old ways where we would judge ourselves and others by how many good deeds we did, how many times we went to service, how much we read your word, but that we would read your word and love you and love others out of our love and out of our relationship. Help us and give us wisdom to do that better. Continue to correct us and guide us and love us and care for us even when we do fall short. And keep us grounded and know that even when we do fall short, our righteousness is still founded on you, not on us. That as Galatians says, it's not as much that we know God, but that we are known by God, and that our relationship is built on your goodness and not ours. And I thank you for all that you've done for us. And I pray all this through your spirit and your name. Amen.